What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Everyone, welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. Hi, everybody. My name is Ben Bolin. How very formal have you been? Yes, well, you know, we're talking about a subject that I have, uh, I, I admittedly have some uh, personal feelings about. You have, you've mentioned this a few times now. What's your, what's your goal here, I guess, in, in, uh, in, the, in the near future, hopefully, right? Oh gosh, the near should future. I, in the near future, I'm putting even more pressure you're, on you. You're making me you, blush. You've yeah. mentioned this uh, on the podcast mm-hmm. and in private also, but yeah. on the podcast, probably three or four times. Have I? Yeah, I think so. Am I that transparent? Uh, no, oh, no, it's good. It's a good goal. Well, let me get it out of out of my system so that nobody has to listen to it again. Let me first thank you for uh, for putting up with me doing this. But um, yeah, way back in the days of yore, um, when I was but a wee young tyke, uh, I was a my my dad who is a uh, a fan of classic cars. Um, he and I had a conversation. Now this is years and years ago, Scott and. Uh, I from that conversation I just I asked him being even at that age unreasonably ambitious I asked him uh what what sort of car he would like I would buy him a car um because he wanted to get a car at the time but we didn't really have the money you know and um he said that if you know if wishes were horses uh he would have a Packard and I told him that if I ever got uh fantastically wealthy or something that I would do my best to get get him a Packard. And to his great amusement <laughs> and probably the same amount of skepticism he had when I was, you know, six or seven, uh, he uh, – I still remember this. And uh, Does he, he know you that you remember this? Have you mentioned yeah. this to him recently? Oh, yeah, yeah. He knows. Okay. So I thought yeah. maybe this is something that you were just carrying with you here and you're uh, someday going to surprise him with it. But he, he knows that you're planning to do this maybe. Um, if I can. If yeah. I, if I can ever, if I can ever, uh, make that happen, I would, I would love to make it happen. Uh, you know, all bias aside, uh, he's, he's a great guy. 
and uh, he, I know he would take care of it. And objectively, and I'm going to say this is not a matter of taste on my part. Objectively, Packard's pack the Packard uh, Motor Company has made some of the uh, most well-engineered, or I guess most sturdy vehicles mm-hmm. in U.S. automotive history. Sure, just ask the man who owns one. Ask the man who owns one. Yes, Scott, indeed. For our listeners who have not, who, who haven't made that association, um, first off, for our listeners who already knew what this was about, based on the slogan, you are our people. Sure. You guys are awesome. Congrats. Congrats. To the rest of you, that's still fine. I mean, maybe not everybody's heard this or has been around the, uh, advertising world for automobiles in their, in their past. Right. Uh, but that was a, a very famous slogan or ad campaign uh, that lasted, I, geez, I would think, the, the length of the, uh, I mean, decades, really. Yeah, the length of the company. The length of the company. This, this goes back to like 1901, and this is, that's mm. not even the beginning of the Packard Motor Company. We'll talk about the history in a moment, but yeah. uh, that, that phrase was first used uh, by the Packard Motor Company in uh, see, I think it was on, on Halloween in 1901, mm-hmm. uh, is when the phrase came out. It was, uh, it was, you know, something like, uh, you know, we provide the most reliable and sturdy made vehicles, and, uh, if you don't believe us, just ask the man who owns one. Mm-hmm. And that stuck. It somehow stuck with them, and it became very, very popular, and, uh, it was just kind of a, uh, um, not really pop culture thing, but, um, it's just, everybody knew about it. It was a household slogan, really. Yeah, yeah. And for I a think- long, long time. I think it was a it was a household slogan. It's sort of like uh you know you might hear the running joke with the iPod or the uh iPod, iPad, iPhone campaigns about apps mm-hmm. where there's this running slogan and household phrase people are using like, "Oh, there's an app for that." Yeah, or um remember Chevy's uh like a rock campaign. Perfect. Yeah. Uh that a lot of people for a long time you couldn't say the words like a rock without somebody saying, "Oh, like a Chevrolet truck." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um it was a lot of things like that that kind of permeate your life in, in different ways. And, and this is one of those things that, um, you know, people just said this and they knew what they meant. They knew they're talking about the Packard Motor Company. And here's the crazy thing. This slogan uh, wasn't just effective advertising because it sounded good. Uh, this slogan works because the automobile company in question backed up the hype. Yes, they did. This is uh, this is one of those really uh, – you know what? I'm going to say this is – this is a pretty interesting story. I don't I don't want to say it's the, the greatest story or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, that's not fair. But it's a pretty interesting story about how the entire company really came around because mm-hmm. it I mean this this is a long history. This this company started in 1899, Ben. Yes, 1899. Yes. When uh James Ward Packard, uh who was a mechanical engineer, picked up an automobile made by Winton. Yeah, that's direct, right. Yeah, the uh, Winton. Yeah. Yeah, and uh so you guys know how engineers are. I'm sure quite a few of our listeners are engineers. Uh, the, uh, the Winton automobile, the one that James got. In 1898, by the way. So yes, this is so the, a year the, before. This is the dawn of the automobile. Mm-hmm. The yeah. very, very dawn of it. Yeah. Uh, well, James wasn't too happy with his Winton, uh, because the, <laughs> the first long trip he took it on, the Winton broke down. Oh my gosh. And so he, you know, he wants to give the vehicle back. And then he no no he did give the vehicle yeah. back and not only that but he took it back to the the uh, the founder of the company so he, he took it back himself. to Winton himself Alexander Winton uh-huh. and had a fight not <laughs> a, not maybe and uh, I don't know maybe I don't think it was a fist fight but maybe I right. mean it sounds like it got really heated details it's true details are a little bit vague but we do know it was pretty heated because it concluded with um, uh, Winton saying you know what. You think you can build a better one? 
go ahead. Go ahead and do it. So, <laughs> so this is kind of funny because, uh, Mr. Packard, Mr. James Ward Packard, uh, mm-hmm. said, you know what? I'll do, I'm going to do that. You know, challenge accepted. Yes. So here he is in 1898, accepts this challenge that he's going to build a better car, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So better than, than Winton's built. Now he is a mechanical engineer. Right. Uh, but he kind of enlists the, uh, the, the help of his brother, uh, William Dowd Packard, who, um, they're in, they're in Warren, Ohio, by the way. Warren, Ohio is in, um, uh, northeastern Ohio. It's kind of near the Pennsylvania border. Yeah. Um, one year later, they had a car ready to go. Can you believe that? Now, their first car is a one-cylinder, and it's made by the uh, oh, their original name, the Ohio Automobile Company. Sure. Ben, right? you skipped over it. This the is one year. This is one year <laughs> later. They have a car ready to go. Can he you must believe have been that? Really steamed. Can you imagine how angry he must have been in that <laughs> in that garage building that one car? I could. I bet he had like a, a you know a photograph of J, of of Winton or whatever yeah. up there, and one and, that he punched every time he walked by it. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I mean, it, it sounds like it was that kind of thing because this mm. is. I mean, it was really a challenge. He threw down the gauntlet. He said, you know, build a better one, and he said, well, I'm going to try. And as everybody knows, you know, there's there's a lot of interest in. Um, you know, even today, it's very difficult to build a car from scratch, so much so that uh, other countries that don't have a car industry usually end up just buying imports instead of trying to foster their own industry. Mm-hmm. That's how difficult it is to build all of the things that you need to build to make a successful car. So in the space of a year, which to me means they had no vacation, they were probably not sleeping that much, these guys managed to build a working car. Sure, the first, the first Packard, really. the first Packard, the first yeah. Packard, which was, a, like you said, a single single cylinder car. It was a it was a buggy type car, of course, because it came from, you know, what was a horse carriage, really. Yeah, um, as all cars did, which at that is time. the convention of the day. Exactly, exactly. So um, again, this is eighteen ninety nine, mm-hmm. and they've got this car for sale, and they they. Uh, Early on, they wanted to test them for reliability because that was the goal here, right? They wanted to make a reliable, durable vehicle that uh, it was, you know, all-around performing car, I guess, right? And in the beginning, at the very least, it had to be better than a Winton. Yeah, <laughs> that's that was, right. You know, I'm not saying anything bad about Winton. No, no, no. This I, is what this is what Packard was going I, for. I'm, you know, I'm kind of thinking that I think I heard that Winton was one of the first cars to cross the United States, really. I believe it was. It was in one of the, uh, I'll have to look that up. That's another story. I think we've talked about that. Um, by 1904, mm-hmm. uh, they had a car called the Gray Wolf. And if you've ever heard of the Gray Wolf, this is kind of an interesting story too. Um, uh, you know, there's little developments here and there. Of course, they're, they're building and building. We'll talk about a timeline here in a minute. Sure, sure, sure. Has some of the first because there were some major firsts in Packard history. Yeah. Um, automobile oh, firsts. And by, uh, by 1904, they have, uh, moved. They've changed their name and they moved to Detroit. Oh, very good. Okay. They, yeah, they had the Packard Motor Company in mm-hmm. Detroit. Um, I, you know what? You had to be in Detroit at that time. You absolutely did. I mean, I think you could all the subsidiary industries are. Yeah. Yeah. You had to be there in order to be a a name in automobile industry at the time. Um, so they've got, by 1904, they got this car that they call the Gray Wolf. And the Gray Wolf is a racing car. Um, it gets, it's got, it's a speedster type. So it's an open top. Um, it has an aluminum body and a total weight of just 1300 pounds, Ben. Um, so the incredible thing about this is they entered it in the 1904 Vanderbilt Cup race, right? Yeah. And they took fourth place, which is remarkable. I mean, here's a company right. that five years before that 
didn't exist. Well, six years before it didn't mm-hmm. exist. Didn't exist. And uh, so now they're taking fourth place in, in the Vanderbilt Cup. Um, and the crazy thing, this is maybe the craziest part about this, they offered it to the public as a production model. You could buy a gray wolf that was a racing car in mm-hmm. 1904. Which means that when you buy it, you don't have to buy additional modifications. You don't have to take it to um, some specialty folks who would make it race-worthy. Mm-hmm. You could drive off the lot yeah. with this thing that got fourth place. This is uh, this is. I mean, I guess you know what's funny. You think about NASCAR. NASCAR is supposed to be kind of like this, right? right. I mean, that's right. the idea behind it originally. Sure. That's the is theory. that you the cars that race are the cars that you could buy. You know, it's it's race on Sunday, sell on Monday. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea behind it originally. And I think it still is the idea, of course, but, yeah. um, this was true to that form. I mean, this is, you could, you could look at that car on the track and buy the exact same car in the showroom and drive it home. And this wasn't just the idea. This was the practice. I that's think right. That's what we're saying. Yeah. Um, now tell me if I'm, tell me if I'm jumping ahead when I go to 1919. No, I'll go ahead. All right. So 1919, now they've won fourth place, mm-hmm. uh, previously in 1919. Uh, a Packard captures the land speed record. Yeah, of the time. Who would have guessed? Um, not uh, not not Winton. No, I mean, not me. I mean, look back at yeah, uh, yeah not Winton. That's right. I, I would no, never looking guessed. back at a 1919 Packard that doesn't look like a uh, a particularly aerodynamic, uh, speed worthy vehicle, but mm-hmm. but it had a little a uh, little secret under the hood, didn't it? Yeah, it had a 12 cylinder engine. Okay, so so we're going from a one cylinder buggy type car <laughs> to a 12 cylinder car uh, that is breaking world speed records. Uh, yeah, and that speed record just for uh, comparison with today's land speed records, uh that was on Daytona Beach and the it hit a speed of just under 150. So it's on sand. It's on sand. On sand. That's impressive in itself, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I think it was uh oh here it is. Ralph De Palma who was uh, an Indianapolis driver. Right. Um at the time that's early, early in Indianapolis history, by the way. Um, yeah, Daytona Beach, 149 miles per hour in the uh, in the measured mile. Mm-hmm. And before that, it was held by the Stanley Steamer, I think is what they said, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's, uh, I read that too. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. All right, so I guess after this, though, the, the weird thing is that, like, it wasn't the – car, the car is not really all about speed. That's the thing. It's, it's, it's no, more it's about not. prestige. It's more about luxury. It's more about reliability. And it's just a, a solid, solid car. Yeah. And uh, that's what they kind of focused on from that point forward. I guess in the 1930s, mm-hmm. um, they, they – uh, that was what they were known for. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was dependable. Mm-hmm. It was reliable. It was solid. It was. It was. It was not really a speed car, although it was fast because they had these big eight-cylinder engines that they were using, right, right. and then later these twelve-cylinder engines that they were using, um, and maybe even at the time they were using twelves. I think. Mm-hmm. But um, the idea behind it was, um, and I quote here: "Solid elegance." Right, which is a which is a great way to look at it because if you look at the, if, it's worth your time too, guys, to check out some video or images of these vehicles because if you look at them, that solid elegance phrase applies mm-hmm. perfectly um, because Packard is, uh, let's see, here's a good example. We had an we've had some uh, episodes about uh, higher end car companies whose customers. Want the want the vehicles to stay higher end? They say don't come out with a cheaper vehicle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep, that's uh, Aston Martin, Bentley, perfect. and uh, uh, Porsche, Rolls Royce. Yeah, uh, keep our you know they're basically saying keep our club exclusive. Mm-hmm. And um, until about the forties, 
that's what Packard was. Yeah, that's right. They were in a, a kind of that upper tier of automobile mm-hmm. manufacturing, and you know, right along with Rolls Royce and right along with uh, you know the the Bentleys and, mm-hmm. and you know, the top end of vehicles of the day. Um, and the, the thing, the the crazy thing is that. You know, at the same time, Cadillac is kind of uh, Cadillac is is on its way up, right? Right. And Cadillac's got, the up and coming. Yeah, it is, and and it's funny to think about it that way because now you know you still associate the name Cadillac with style and grace, mm-hmm. but until this point in the '30s, I don't know if it was really on the level of of Packard. I'm just not sure. I don't know how it was all playing out at the time. You know, who mm-hmm. was more at the top? But I, I believe that uh, Packard was even on top of that. Uh, on top at that time. Yes. Um, now here's what happened is that in the, in the 30s, this kind of competition between GM and Packard started to grow. And if you recall, I mean, a lot of people know about this, but in the 1930s, Cadillac came out with these enormous V16 engines. <laughs> right. And yeah. yeah. So, you know, here's the Packard with, okay, eights are, eights are pretty typical, right? Mm-hmm. V8s at the time are pretty typical. Sure. Um, Packard has a V12. There are other companies that have V12s too, but uh, right. Packard has a V12, which is really strong. The twin six. Exactly, yeah. And the, uh, the Cadillac brand comes out with a V16. Okay, now that – what's weird about this is that the public, I guess, just said, well, here's a V16. That's got to be better than a V12. Right. So I'm going to give that a shot. You know, look at it. And and they kind of followed that instead of going with the trusted known – you know, that, that – Packard's already producing this 12. That's a it's a solid engine. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's take a look at the tw- the uh, V16 and the Cadillac and see if maybe I want that. And Cadillac started to gain this foothold as being the top or the the, the peak in in American uh, luxury vehicles at the time. Right. I don't and know if I stated that very clearly. Yeah, or that not, that makes sense because let's also keep in mind that at the time um, a luxury vehicle typically was thought of as being European. So American-made luxury vehicle is, at this time, sort of its own niche. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, the uh, the leapfrogging that happens, now let's not be anything less than clear about this. You know, uh, Packard's V12 leapfrogs the uh, Cadillac engine, and then Cadillac leapfrogs Packard. Exactly. Which is completely the way things go in these sorts of industries, any kind of competitive business. Nobody is playing any sort of shady game here. This is just the the nature of the beast, I guess. Um, and then, uh, let's see, if we can go up to... Well, let's get to the war years because... Yeah, that's where um, I'm going, yeah. Just before... Um, here, here's the thing, but, but just before the war, uh, Packard released a model that was a lot smaller... Uh, because the sales are starting to decline because the Cadillac sales were going up. Right. Okay. Right. So they're taking away their, their, uh, their, their market, uh, a bit. People are shifting over to Cadillac. Mm-hmm. And, uh. And let's keep in mind this is a depression and World War One have happened as well. Exactly. And now, you know, these are, these are high-end vehicles we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so not everybody can afford one, of course. Mm-hmm. So what Packard does is something that a lot of companies are doing these days. They downsized it a bit. They downsized the size of the car, not necessarily the company. I don't know about that, but right. uh, they downsized the size of the vehicle, um, and they brought out a, um, a vehicle called the 120. Mm-hmm. And I guess the the 120 is the co- the car that actually saved the company. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's a smaller car. It's modestly priced. It's the first one under a thousand dollars. It really. Oh, I didn't know uh, yeah, that. I believe so. Oh, okay. Okay. Very good. They um, they were able to save the company by doing this because then. Um, not everybody, but, you know, somebody with moderate income and, you know, mm-hmm. the more of a middle class person could afford a Packard at this point. And, and they could say, now, of course, remember a lot of this is prestige, so they could say, huh, yes, I, 
As a matter of fact, I do have a Packard. That's exactly right. You know, I have a, I have a Packard 120. Uh, is that your country club voice? This is sort of my country yeah, club. Nice. But I mean, the eyebrows really make it more. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, so all okay. that, and you're wearing that, uh, that captain's cap and, and, you know, the ascot and the jacket. Did you see my boat? Yeah, it's in the parking yeah, very lot. Very nice, very nice. So anyways, the war happens, right? <laughs> yeah, the war happens. And um, in 1942, the United States government orders all the uh, automobile manufacturers to stop making cars and to start shifting their uh, manufacturing efforts to support the war. So that means instead of building 120s, instead of building Cadillacs, uh, we've got these auto manufacturers building uh, components for aircraft, building components for boats. Um, and then if they are building vehicles, they're building military vehicles. They're building um, emergency rescue vehicles, right? Can I break in here? Break in. Okay, because I've got a little bit of info about this. And this uh, this is a bit of a sidebar here, okay? Uh, yeah. We'll get back to it, I promise. Oh, sidebars are like the best parts okay, of this now, podcast. Okay, now um, – you know what proving grounds are, right? Yes. We've got an article on our site about how proving grounds work and, mm-hmm. you know, what. Well, the first proving ground was actually a General Motors facility. And trust me, I'm getting around to the, the Packard stuff. <laughs> I worry. got you. Man. The first proving grounds w- were built in 1924, okay? And it was built by GM in Milford, Michigan. First ever anywhere, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's where they test vehicles. They they put them through their paces and see how they, they hold up, right? Huge facilities, just enormous. And they're not on the property of the, the headquarters or anything like that. They're often set way far away away right. from everybody so they can do their testing. And there's a lot of high security and secrecy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so 1925, Ford came up with their, their – they said, well, that's a great idea, GM. I'm going to do this as well. So they built one in Dearborn, Michigan, and that one's still around as mm-hmm. well. So it was the Milford Proving Grounds. 1925, at the same year that Ford built theirs, Packard built their first Proving Grounds. And uh, it was built in Shelby Township, Michigan. It's about 20 miles north of Detroit, the Detroit factory, the uh, the manufacturing facility. And uh, some of the, the features that this place had, it had a speedway. Mm-hmm. It had what they called a Badlands, which was really just these um, look like softball-sized rocks or maybe bigger. Okay. Uh, it was just a really, really rough road that they tested the cars on. Um, of course, it had hills and water and gravel pits and deep sand and sure. you know all the different testing facilities or, or tracks or types of, of road surface that you'd need. Well, they also had an aircraft hangar um, on the property. Okay, and you can still see that you can still see this this property. They have a timing tower. Uh, uh-huh. They've got the original buildings, the carriage houses. You can see the, uh, the Packard Drive, I think, is what it is. You know that you know there's an entrance. Right. It's really a grand entrance to this place. The big gates and everything. Um, Part of the original track is there, but not much of it. Okay. So the hangar. Though. The hangar is still there. They've had to move the hangar, but uh, the hangar is where they used to experiment with um, Packard diesel engines for planes. And get this, Charles Lindbergh, uh, who flew the Spirit of St. Louis, yeah. he flew Packard-powered airplanes um, with these diesel engines. You know, my first reaction is to go, no way. And accuse you of trying to pull an April Fool's type of thing no, on me. No, this but, is this is real. Yeah, but this this is real because the uh, one of the biggest things that Packard produced during the war efforts uh, engines. Mm-hmm. They became it, pretty much an engine manufacturer. It makes perfect sense because mm-hmm. here they've got these solid, reliable engines that are very, very strong, and they're yeah. they're experimenting with these um, diesel engines, uh-huh. and uh, it's kind of unknown at the time, you know. And and Lindbergh, I guess, was one of these guys that said, "I'd I'd try it out for you. Let's uh, let's do it." And oh, so he, he, there are photos of him standing on the Packard proving grounds with you know the planes behind him, um, and some of the the facility staff. Standing mm-hmm. around as well, you know, for the the photo op, I guess. But um, kind of a, you know, it's funny if you read some of the stories about when he was on site. 
uh, a bit of a cold reception on his part. Not, not them towards him, him towards the staff. He never, um, one of the guys that mentioned it there, it was in his notes that, yeah. uh, the guy never said a word to him. And he was the one who was out there, you know, this engineer, whoever it was, was out right. there in charge of like warming up the cylinders of the plane and getting everything all ready to go. So when he arrived, you know, he could just step into it. Uh, that's all he did was step it. It was almost like he, he never even looked at the guy, never motioned towards him, never said anything to him, uh-huh. very coldly stepped into the plane, didn't ask about how to control it because the guy knew how to fly it. Right. Um, he said he just stepped in, flew the plane. Landed the plane, stepped out, and left. And that was pretty much it. So, um, interesting little, little reading that you can yeah. do there. And that, you know, that information comes from the Packard Motor Car Foundation, um, mm-hmm. which is a, a site that you can find online. And they've got, they've got all this stuff. And I think you can find those notes about when Lindbergh visited, but okay. That was a great sidebar. Past, wow. That's past the, uh, the war stuff, but that's, uh, yeah, yeah. We're past the war I thought stuff. that was really interesting. And the thing is, that's, more and more, when you look at the history of this company, for uh, for the people who are unfamiliar with it, either because you don't really follow car history or you're just uh, young and and you don't know about it, uh, there are tons of stories about the Packard Company that have almost legendary status. Like to be honest with you, I knew a little bit about the Charles Lindbergh thing, mm-hmm. but I didn't know the extent of which it happened. I didn't know we could actually find uh, notes. About his, his apparently winning personality. Oh no! You know you can find. You know I'm not going to say that that was his the case every time. Maybe he's right. having a bad day. Who sure. Knows? Who knows? But uh, <laughs> but anyways, maybe not. We'll so see. okay. So, so yeah. Anyways, so you can find photos of him with the, the Packard powered planes. And the uh, these planes, these engines, uh, they do they do well for the war effort. Um, after 1945, of course, the Allies win uh, World War II, and Packard, uh, along with other auto manufacturers, gets back to their core business, building vehicles. Now, the the weird thing is, um, they're they're in good financial condition, but because of the way they had to store their equipment for manufacturing automobiles, I'm going to go ahead and call it. Um, they're kind of. They're kind of up the creek without a paddle mm-hmm. because this stuff, the they couldn't really store it in the proper storage facility. Now, when when we say equipment, we mean the manufacturing equipment that they use to make vehicles. Yeah, the assembly line, basically. Right. The assembly line basically is out there during World War II with, like, a tarp over it. Yeah, yeah. That's sad, isn't it? Yeah. Because uh, – and, and it can't be neglected like that. That stuff requires, you know, maintenance constantly. Right. Um, even the modern machines require a lot of maintenance, and it just can't sit and uh, – I guess I'm, I guess it can't rot away like that, really. Right. Um, so they can't um, – they, they have to – a lot of this equipment, a lot of these supplies are beyond the point of repair. They have to be replaced. And not only that, Ben, this is a, this is like a strike number two, really. Yeah. Um, the public wanted smaller cars. They wanted oh, yeah. smaller cars because, you know, the, this is when the GIs came back and they mm-hmm. had, you know, they had seen some of these European vehicles that they really liked and they're even bringing vehicles back like the Austin Healey and they're sure. bringing back small sports cars, the British sports cars. They really have fallen in love with these things and, and that's what they want. They want something that, you know, can get good mileage and, mm-hmm. you know, that's fun and sporty and it's not the, the giant, giant vehicles, you know, that, that we had in the past with these big carriages. Right. Solid um, elegance is beginning to decline in yeah, the public eye. Yeah. I mean, in, in, yeah, it is. It's, it's it's just is. not enough to – you can't base an entire company on it, and you have to have a, a diversified line. And Packard at the time, other than the 120 that they came out with right before the war, they didn't right. really have that. 
And, right. and like you said, they were kind of up a creek without uh, being able to um, produce a car immediately without a lot of work on getting that li- even that line back together again. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, for example, 1946, they make the um, – oh, wait, they – when they finally start making these vehicles again, they say, okay, we're just going to make the clippers. We're going to get rid of the other model lines, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is, is a necessity considering the overhead they've got for their equipment. Um, and this is, this is what I was telling you about, uh, off the air earlier. The, uh, the clippers that they made at this time, um, in, in the, uh, 40s, uh, they're the ones that had an alarm on the gas tank. So it whistles of fuel was pumped and it would stop when the tank was full. Wait, okay. So, you got to say that one more time okay, because so, I, I'm confused about this. There's a whistle in the fuel tank? Yeah. I'd just say because we were – you guys, Scott and I were talking about interesting features in Packards before sure. we went on the air. So, okay, you're pumping up your clipper, right? You're putting the gas in yeah. and uh, as you're pumping it, you hear this whistle – you know, and then sure. it, it – because this is before like automatic shutoff and yeah. stuff. So you hear this whistle and then it just stops when the tank is full. Interesting. Which is a neat little innovation, that but is. it's something that you don't see in cars today. You know what? I, I've got a tiny bit of reference for this. My daughter has a, a bath toy uh-huh. when she was a kid that it was like a, a floating dolphin thing that you would tap on its head and it would, it was a whistle. And the, the fuel, or the, um, the fuel, no, the water <laughs> level in the bathtub would make it whistle by blowing air through it when you oh, hit it. Oh, that's and cool. You push it through the water. So that must have been the same exact, uh, principle. Like the same concept. Yeah, is it is pushing air through the whistle. Mm-hmm. And then once it got past that point, it couldn't whistle anymore. You knew to stop, right? And so the, huh. uh, yeah. We, we're like, uh, detectives over yeah, here. Yeah, sure. So the, uh, right. the, the clipper though, it's you like know. 60 year old technology. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say we're the best detectives. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, so the, uh, the Cold clipper case. here, it's, it's wider, um, than it, it's like a foot wider than it is tall, so it's like the widest production vehicle, hmm. vehicle in production at the time. And, you know, as, as you said, the, uh, the American public at this point, they want the smaller ones. We want the, uh, we don't want the yachts anymore. We want the darts. We want the, yeah. the fast ones. So basically, uh, Packard's in trouble at this point, really. Packard's in deep trouble. Packard's in trouble. So, um, what happened was, and we'll just kind of get to the, the yeah. point here, because, uh, it does go away. Uh, Packard goes away in 1958, but just before mm-hmm. that, uh, it had merged with the Studebaker Corporation. Yes. And, um, they, for a short, short time, they, they tried to keep it together. Mm-hmm. They tried to keep, um, you know, producing Packards. They tried to keep producing Studebakers. Mm-hmm. They eventually had to drop the Packard line. Uh, they said, you know, it just isn't working out anymore. Studebaker is also in trouble. Right. Um, as were a lot of companies at the time. Um, it was just real, real tight economic times. And, uh, that's about it. I mean, uh, finally, you know, Packard was gone in 1958. I think the last one, I have a number here. Uh, the last Studebaker came off of a, uh, an assembly line in South Bend, Indiana mm-hmm. on July 13th, 1958. That was the very last Packard. Which is a, uh, which is a sad ending for a company, but I do have a, I do have one funny thing about it. Uh, one of the reasons, and this is weird, but one of the reasons that some historians think the Packard Car company was in trouble in the post-war decline, uh, or de- decline in demand for luxury cars, mm-hmm. is that they kind of made their cars too well. There wasn't any planned obs, uh, what's it called? Obsolescence? Uh, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Obsolescence. You're saying that they yeah. didn't build certain parts to break? Yeah. Is that so, what you mean? So there weren't enough people coming back to have to buy new cars. This is the conspiracy theorist in you. This, <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm quoting. I'm quoting. And I yeah, think maybe sure. I think that's a very sympathetic look at it. Yeah. I don't think that explains all of it. You no, know? no, no. Um, so, you know, I've got a couple of things here. If you want to wrap yeah. it up, I've got I've got just a few little kind of interesting little facts I think that maybe people would be interested in hearing. You want to uh, you want to hear some of them? Yes, sir. All right. So before we get too far into this, I, I do want to mention that there's a National Packard Museum mm-hmm. uh, that people can go to. It's in Warren, Ohio, which is the birthplace of uh, of Packard. Good call, Scott. And that is, um, again, that's in northeastern Ohio. It's right near the Pennsylvania border, uh, kind of near um, Youngstown, Ohio. That's, I guess, point of reference. Right. Um, so if you want to you go there. There's also a... Um, uh, let's see, what did I say here? Hang on, there's a, uh, there's a Packard Motor Car Foundation that was founded in 1997 that people can take a look for online, look at online. Um, one other thing, uh, two or three other things, really. Hmm. Um, someone has revived the Packard name. Do you know that? I have heard rumors. Yeah, there is a, if you go online and you look at, uh, www.packardmotorcar.com. Packardmotorcar.com. Mm-hmm. A, uh, a couple by the name of Roy and Barbara Gullickson. Uh, purchased the, the rights to the Packard name in 1995, and they're out of Scottsdale, Arizona, mm-hmm. um, right here in the United States, and uh, they actually produced a concept vehicle that, you know, that bears the Packard name, because they've got the rights to the, the Packard name. Yeah. Um, the car was shown at the Pebble Beach Concours in 2003. No way. I've got a uh, photo of it here if you want to look at it, yeah. and anybody at home can follow along, but uh, that is the vehicle right there, and it's kind of this, this I'm going to say it's an odd mix of, of new and old. It's, it's a, it is. It's a luxury-looking car, but it has some newer features to it. And if you open the hood, uh, there's a really interesting-looking engine that has, you know, the old Packard emblem and... Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of like, almost like the, the metal has that quilted look to it that covers it. The, there's a metal cover to the engine. Uh, really, okay. really sharp. Um, it's still a V12. There's some things that I like. Oh, yeah, it's a great big, that's, I should say that, yeah, it's a great big Packard V12 engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, it's a huge Packard V12 engine. You can, I've got you the, can tell uh, looking from the hood. Well, yeah, yeah, it's got a, do I the got, specs. <laughs> the specs here. It's a V12 all aluminum overhead valve fuel injected engine with racing, oh, okay, racing heritage. Um, <laughs> it's a 525 cubic inch engine. So this Man. is a big engine, okay? Man. 573 horsepower and 593 foot pounds of torque. Is what this thing registered on the dyno. So that's big. Um, it looks like it's enormous. I mean, th- there's a picture yeah. of a guy leaning against it, but in actuality, I mean, it's it's big. Don't get me wrong, but it's about 17 and a half feet long. That's the the length of this thing. It looks longer than that, and it's about six feet wide. So the proportions, I don't know. It's, wow, it's strange, feet. but um, it's, I, I still have to buy my dad one of the old kinda, ones. Yeah, definitely. This is uh this is more of the um, I don't know modern modern look of the thing. It's got some of the old elements, like the grills, kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Um, the wheels are really unique, flat mm-hmm. flat chrome, very strange, but. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm on the fence if I like that one or not. Yeah. Here's I, another one that I found. What? I found another one that's, uh, this one's maybe more up our, uh, reader's alley here, Let's, listener's alley, because this one is called the 1946 Arrow Packard Flyer. It's called the Dream Rod. Oh, goodness gracious. That's so a hot rod. It's a 2000 horsepower hot rod with a, uh, get this, 41 liter engine. Uh, <laughs> what? A 41 liter <laughs> motor, 2000 horsepower. That's 3,000 pound-feet of torque. Uh, this car is 31 feet long, Ben. Take a look at that one. Wow. But, um, Gosh, look up, just look up mean. Dream Rod. Yeah. You're going to see this enormous Packard. It's a silver vehicle that you'll see mm-hmm. at a car show. Incredible. Mm-hmm. You can even find video of that thing starting up, and when it starts up, uh, it just blows the camera away. The, the audio just is, yeah. is a rumble. It sounds like thunder. 
uh, made made instantly by uh, Rodney Rucker. So shout very, out to him. Very, very uh, impressive. My mother would kill me if I ever got something like that. The car from my is thirty one feet long. Thirty one feet yeah, long and that's three thousand pound feet of torque. This is that's huge. That's kind of like competing with um. Oh, what's Jay Leno's car? The tank. Yeah, the car? tank car. Yeah, yeah. The tank car. Okay. Brother, I'm I'm on a roll here. I got I got two more things before we go. Actually, you want to take you want to take a look at some of those and maybe mention them, and then uh, I oh, need, I need some it of for the, the last note on there when you, when you okay. Got. Some of the first here, yeah, some of the first. Okay, so we've we've mentioned the H pattern gear shift arrangement. Yeah, okay. that's right. First and yeah. uh, what 1901. Yeah, there are some other things uh, there. Also, uh, 1901, the use of a steering wheel instead of a tiller. Can you believe that? That was Packard. Packard is the first to use a steering wheel because before that, remember Henry. Ford's vehicle, that uh, quadricycle that had yeah, yeah, yeah. it had the uh, the, the rudder. Control. Yeah, it's like uh, like you would find on a boat uh, engine yeah. or something. Oh, they call it a tiller, I think. Is what yeah, they it's called a tiller. It. Yeah, yeah, tiller. And then uh, also, oh, this is a year before 1900 automatic ignition spark advance, mm-hmm. uh, and they also have spiral bevel differential gears. 1913. Ah, that's an important one because that you know when you hear gears mashing together. Yeah. That spiral bevel—that's what prevents that sound from happening. So this is this really quieted down shifting cars because before that it was a grind and then mm. it's gone. You know you're in gear. This point it made it perfectly smooth and that's why that's how gears are cut today so that you don't hear every single gear. I mean of course there's synchro meshes and everything sure. else, but uh, this this went a long way in making cars a lot quieter to drive. And also that's that's one of the things that uh, sets forth this concept we have of luxury cars as being very quiet actually you know what even yeah. in just driving conditions if they're if they're flat gears they're going to make a lot of noise you're yeah. going to hear a clacking sound as they come together and uh and that design prevented mm-hmm. that uh mass-produced v12 engines in uh or v12 powered autos in 1915 mm-hmm. uh you know i think that speaks for itself 1915 they're making a 12 cylinder engine not 1915 wow. <laughs> and uh First neon signs in America ah, in that's 1923. A, that's a big one. Yeah. The first, the very first neon sign. So you know, you think Vegas is maybe the first place you'd see that happening, right? Right, but it's nope. L.A. Packard Los dealership. Yeah. Packard dealership. And can you imagine what people thought when they saw a neon sign? Well, I know they stopped to look at it. It was huge. Yeah, they're they huge signs. And then uh, also 1940, first vehicle, first company to offer AC air conditioning in vehicles for 275. What year was that? For two, uh, 1940. 1940. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, then we've got got yeah. some automatic leveling. We also have other uh, improvements. Automatic in- leveling in 1955. Can you yeah. believe that? <laughs> right. That's pretty incredible. I mean, it was with this torsion bar suspension system that they mm-hmm. had, which is kind of cool. So, um, okay, there's one one more. This is the very last thing I promise because we've we've talked a long time about Packard, but this is I, I found this interesting and a bit sad, Ben. What is it? And it's not really that sad. It's just it's interesting. Okay, well I'm um, going to put the violin away. And, and this is sad. again this is again from the same place. This is from uh, one of the one of the, the foundation. I think so. Yeah. Um, get this in in 1947, Henry Ford died, right? Yes. Henry Ford was taken to the graveyard in a Packard hearse, not in a Lincoln. I don't think he would have been happy. With I that. don't think so either. I think he. W- I mean, that's the the uh, the kind of storyline we're going at here is that you know, I don't think that he would have been happy about this, and because it, this is this is why this is a weird little little tale here. It, it kind of roundabout way, but um, Lincoln did offer a commercial chassis, which you know that we've we've talked about um, how hearses service vehicles. Yeah. yeah, we had a, how hearses are made. Um, so they did offer, or I'm sorry, they did not offer a commercial chassis 
post-war. The last time that they offered one was in 1937. Okay. So they were making hearses in, in 1937 and prior, but they weren't making many of them even at that point. Okay. So, you know, there's a, um, a quote here that says that there are actually minuscule production numbers prior to that point. So finding a Lincoln made hearse or Lincoln hearse really. Yeah. Uh, that was about 10 years old at that point. Cause you know, this is 1947 when he died. Nearly impossible. It would have been impossible to find because you're talking about a matter of days before, um, he was actually, you know, between when he died and when he was right, taken to, yeah. to the graveyard. Of course, you know, there's a big public funeral and everything, but, uh, you don't know what's going to happen until it, it does, right? Oh this my is unexpected. Gosh. And, uh, so they were able to find a Packard hearse and they used it. And nope. it was a great big luxury car, you know, mm-hmm. the, Beautiful hearse. I've seen photos of it. Yeah. Um, but they, they mentioned several times that, you know, Henry, he wasn't, when he was alive, he was very uncomfortable in anything other than a car with his name on it. He didn't like the, uh, anything other than, he didn't like to be in a car other than a Ford. If he returns from the dead, man, nobody tell him. So, I mean, there's that no, guy is brilliant and crazy. I mean, there's no doubt that he would have hated this last ride that he took in this Packard hearse, but I just mm-hmm. thought it was kind of an interesting footnote on this whole thing mm-hmm. is that, uh, here's a Packard automobile taking the founder of the Ford Motor Company to his gravesite. Strange. It's strange and it's, um, it's a very, neat point for us to end on for this podcast because what we've done here we hope you guys have enjoyed the the show uh today what we've done here uh what we've attempted to do is give you a snapshot of one of the uh great companies of american automotive industries and what happened to it now uh we hope that you have some packard stories for us um, of course, you know, I'm always in the market for a uh, cut-rate deal on a Packard. Sure, if you got one for sale, uh, pass it along. We'll take a look at it. Oh, yeah, and wait, wait a couple decades so I can get up to that level. <laughs> Reasonably priced. But seriously, guys, if you want to uh, learn more about this, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, check out our website. And uh, if you have a story about Packards, if you would like to hear more about uh, the history of a specific car company or vehicle, or if you have a topic you want to hit us with out of the blue, send us an email at carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. 
Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. Right, let's go. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. <laughs> you can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Oh, oh, oh. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.